Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, flabbergasted that I've never seen this film before. And joining us tonight, the man bringing it death machine to the table. He is the writer-director of the recent Fright Fest selection, True Fiction. It's Mr. Braden Croft. Braden, hello. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, no problem. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you for doing this. And like I said, thank you for bringing this film to me. I feel enriched and I feel confused, but I feel happy. Yeah, it's a bizarre film, right? Like, um... I mean, I start to start it off. I, I kind of ask myself, what what film is underrepresented that um, wasn't appreciated in this time, and that is new to an audience? Because frankly, I've seen it once, and I don't even know if I watched the full thing as a kid. I was probably ten years old. No, I, I could have been younger than that. This is 1994, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh God, I, I was probably seven years old, six or seven when it first came out. Okay. Uh, do you guys have black box cable? systems back um back when you guys were kids in 90 in the 90s is that, Was that like, a thing is that like kind of dodgy cable that's like a cracked box yes that's exactly what it is and it was uh if you watched it long enough depending what channel you got it would like crackle in and you could see you know exposed breasts for half a second or god knows what weird stream it was kind of like video drill you know <laughs> <laughs> well i can tell you i'm very much familiar with hanging about on the adult channels in the hope that i would get a glimpse of some boobies when i was younger so uh, I very much know what you're talking about there. Yeah, and I remember seeing this, and my the clearest memory was uh, the creature running through, well, I'm calling it a creature, the death machine watching through. God, it was an office building? Yeah, it was like the most realistic shit I've ever seen. Like, oh my God, it's a metallic lion or some shit. And it, it horrified me, man. And now that I look back on it, it's basically what, alien mixed with Judge Dredd, mixed with Die Hard. Yeah, and a bit of the Terminator. Yeah, it's a bit of a grab bag. Yeah, and it's one of those things where as a kid, it's everything you ever wanted, but now that you're old enough to realize, like, okay, a pizza is not better if you add Twizzlers and candy to it, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I've got to say, before we kind of get into this, this is a film that is tonally all over the map. I was was finding it very jarring, very confusing at times as it kind of tries to kind of juggle the darker elements with the more comical stuff but then I realised that it was an American Japanese co-production and that kind of started to make sense, the bits that kind of felt like they were out of Giver or things like that. Yeah, exactly. I gotta say it's interesting that um, when you said that obviously you remember it as a kid but you might not have even made it to the end when you watched it as a kid, you chose this really quickly because you when i asked you when i reached out to you to do this you asked for a list of the films that we'd covered which i had literally just opened like i got a word document to make a list of them and then you were like wait a minute has anyone done death machine <laughs> yeah yeah it was I, my latest project i was doing uh cyberpunk research and i think this just popped up and i was like oh, shit i recognize that claw in the poster i'm like is that what i think it is 
because up until this point, I haven't known the title of that film because it scared ah. the crap out of me. I just changed channel pretty quick, right? Yeah. Looking into it, and I, w- I was reading more. I'm like, holy shit, Brad Dorif! I know who that is now. And all of these characters named, I won't. I'm sure we'll cover it anyway. But John Carpenter, <laughs> Sam Raimi, and now I know who these people are. I was like, what is this? Amazing. And I did a deep dive. And right when you said that, it was like my subconscious just leapt up and kicked me in the dick and was like, you <laughs> have to talk about that machine. <laughs> Before we jump in, Brayden, I don't know if you've listened to the show before, but we do make everyone who comes on do one thing, um, and it is for the benefit of uh, anyone who is listening that hasn't seen the film, which I would say there's probably a fair few of them this time, because this is not just the most readily accessible film in the UK. So what we're going to do is I'm going to count you in, and we're going to ask you to give us your best 30-second synopsis of Death Machine. How do you feel about that? It feels great, and I prepped myself listening to Josh Lobo do his, and I'm going to move it. Ah, nice. Okay, right. Uh, Okay, here we go. Three, two, one, go. All right, Death Machine is diehard meets alien about a killer machine voiced by well not voiced but controlled by chucky's brad dorif <laughs> and yeah it's basically aliens meets diehard with a metal machine okay yep yeah. yeah, succinct to the point don't need much more than that because that is about it yeah yeah that's yeah. Pretty, yeah, that's, yeah that's pretty much what's going on here i think we should just i think we should just jump in because there is a lot to get through and this is um and this is actually this is actually worth addressing now as well because it's one of the longer ones that we've that we've watched for this i think and we were talking just before we hit record here and we established we possibly watched two different cuts yeah that's right i think you you guys said it was an hour 51 for you hour, hour 51, 51. Yeah. yeah yeah and mine's like a, a pretty clean taking out the credits is probably a clean two hours so okay be interesting to see if we can pin down what's missing from ours as we go. <laughs> and I do know my Amazon Prime has the video on there and I was going to watch it, but the second I started playing it, it was this pan and scan, really dumpy 4 by 3 aspect ratio that just looked like hot garbage. And thankfully, I, I sourced out a good screen and my God, the widescreen, it looks like two different films entirely. Really? I think the version we watched was a really terrible pan and scan version. It's, I mean, it looked awful. <laughs> very small it, i watched a couple of youtube clips on it and um they compared the two cuts and the one i'm i got it playing in the background right now it basically looks like blade runner some of it it's so crisp and the colors punchy and the other one was like how can we make this look even worse <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, do, it does it does kind of look a little bit kind of dry and a little bit washed out yeah it's definitely not like that on whatever version i got and they did re-release the the blu-ray on it so i assume that is the proper way to see it so. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it Thanks certainly so. sounds like it i like the way that we kick off i like this a lot back in the hazy days of 2003 yes the future <laughs> um yeah um absolute chaos at a gas station plumes of smoke many many people dead i quite like the f- i quite like this it just throws you right in yeah <laughs> it does feel like a judge trade universe does it not they come in with the massive plasma rifles or knockoffs of the alien guns yeah we have uh, agents from the arp entering a bathroom to find uh what to the untrained eye appears to be a man slash cyborg just repeatedly punching a wall it kind of looks like uh the the middle stage of mickey rourke after angel heart <laughs> And, and he's probably about what fifty holes into that wall before collapsing. <laughs> uh, yes, but uh, before he's before he's uh, deactivated by uh, John Carpenter, not that one. 
he actually resembles uh, Orson Welles. He, he's a man with some credits to his name. He was uh, the ill-fated X-wing pilot Porkins in a Star Wars Episode Four. Oh God, that is the guy. Yeah, and he was also Lieutenant Eckhart in Tim Burton's Batman. Think about the future. Yeah, isn't he? Uh, he passed away recently, didn't he? He passed away a couple of years. Well, I was going to say he passed away a couple of years after this, but he didn't. He passed away a couple of years after this was set. He passed away in two thousand and five. I see. Okay. <laughs> I like how his ARP suit has been modified for him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's good that they cater for the ample gentleman. <laughs> it's a progressive future. We're <laughs> there is no shaming here um, I've, got, I've got to say when uh, that uh, this character who's punching a wall he is a malfunctioning hard man um, which if you come from Glasgow as we or as I certainly do hard man is an entirely different meaning that's the kind of person that will come up to you in a bar and start a fight and hit you over the head with a pool cue <laughs> but I find his when he topples over I find that incredibly funny he looks like he takes a real spill a real spill on like onto his face <laughs> Well, what's funny too is I, I thought the eyepieces, it looks like they had enough money to buy one suit for the Super Soul, and it wasn't made for this guy. It was made for the dude later on in the film. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of times, I think, where you see something taking a tumble and you don't see it all the way, and I, a couple of times, was like, I wonder if that's why. Yeah, and I didn't know the creative choice to make the yarmulke back end of it too, because it's kind of like this is a Jewish super soldier, is it not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't think that at the time, but I can't unsee it now. <laughs> but yes, obviously, uh, whatever this thing is designed to do has not gone to plan. We cut immediately to this kind of uh, this frantic uh, montage of news stories. And somebody that will come to learn is um, Kale. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, Starts uh, refuting allegations of secret projects. We come to learn that she is the glass ceiling shattering chief executive of Chank Armaments. Chank with two A's. <laughs> And yeah, should we cut straight to her um, holding her own in a shadowy boardroom where uh, Scott Ridley, see what they did there? <laughs> um, <laughs> These names are fucking amazing. They're great, aren't they? They get better. Um, <laughs> played here by Richard Brake, latter day Rob Zombie, darling. Yeah, yeah, I think Richard Brake's doing good work in here for all the time he's in it. <laughs> Going back to the names for a second, did you think when they first made this, because Sam Raimi was on the cusp of becoming someone great like we know him, right? But he was only maybe three or four films into his career. Did Norrington, the director, believe, you know what, this is going to be some cool shit that people like me are going to appreciate, but the normal person won't. And now we're all laughing because it's like, those are the most obvious name choices, especially in the genre world. I mean, nowadays people are doing that stuff in just about every project. There's somebody that's named after a different like a director or a, an actor or something um but i don't imagine there was that much of this in 1994 so it's certainly weird and it feels jarring in this film <laughs> yeah, it makes you wonder what would we name our characters now would it be like fed alvarez and <laughs> yeah at this point we get a little bit more of uh, what's going on here which is that um Hardman has malfunctioned, killed everyone in the diner. I guess yeah. that's kind of deducible from context. Um, but Ridley, uh, Richard Brake's character, he wants to cover this up because he's concerned about losing army contracts. Sure, yes, correct. Um, and he decides that the best way to do that is to oust Jack Dante, uh, the company's top scientist, played by Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif, I think here, resembling kind of like every basement-dwelling hacker you would see in kind of tech horrors and tech thrillers for the next 15 years after this. They combine both sides of Skrillex, so now, like, the hair is fuller. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? You got the uh, the essential ripped up jeans. I don't know what band he would have been in the 90s, but my God, they got it to a T. Yeah. Well, he's, he's looking a bit like a thinner Glenn Danzig. <laughs> so, yeah, we kind of get, we get a brief run in with uh, Dante here. And then we fly off and meet. I couldn't. I, it, it took me a minute. I think it's. Uh, can I just quickly mention the yes, fact that yes, go. When Kale decides, look, she's going to try and get an appointment to speak to Dante, and that is a, an appointment that is granted pretty quickly. It seems that to get to Dante's office, you have to pass through a steel mill, <laughs> <laughs> which is weird. Because uh, as far as I could understand in the early running, this was just like a diehardy kind of office block, but it seems to house very elaborate labs and like i say some kind of functioning steelworks with uh, staff yeah it's like the ministry of uh oh god in judge dread it's like their ministry building and in the bottom where they keep their most brilliant of all brilliant scientists that build war machines in ai <laughs> you have to go past welders and <laughs> basically the blue collar section to reach like the sub blue collar brilliant section yeah and then you have to wade through what appears to be my childhood bedroom, which is filled with old Thundercats and He-Man toys. <laughs> and the first thing, what does he say when he first comes in? He's like, you're in my room. Get out of my room, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. This is a very weird performance from Brad Dourif. Um It starts off, I, I was kind of like, oh, I like this. I like what he's doing here then. But I'd say by Act 3, I was very over it. <laughs> I know. It's like if, if Mark Hamill's Joker met Oh God! Well, Brad Dorf's Chucky. It's it's such a weird mix, but it's totally him. And yeah, my God, I don't I don't know. It's like free reign. Was he too big for the director to reel in, or is that what he was going for? Yeah, you have to you have to wonder. I'm not going to say who's responsible for it because that makes it sound like I'm looking to blame somebody. I quite like Brad Dorf in this, but it is you do have to wonder where the director's choices end and an actor's choices begin with something like this, don't you? <laughs> It's not full camp in the sense that it uh, it's obvious because there are some serious moments and some heavy stuff. But my God, other moments you're like, how can't this be camp? Like they know what they're doing, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. and that's part of the, the the problem I had with it is juggling the, the moments of camp with the moments later where he's like trying to rape Kale and stuff like that. It's a very odd balancing act that I don't think that it ever quite gets correct. Yeah, yeah, and it's too bad. I really wish you guys saw that. Um, the proper release for it because had i seen what you guys just watched i would be like "Ooh, there's a, there's a lot of shortcomings in this but watching it in the proper release is i'm i'm shocked i would give the director of photography massive props because he, it's a beautiful film it really is yeah it kind of it kind of feels like a right i kind of want to immediately wrong to be honest you kind of you've piqued my curiosity about it oh definitely so kale and uh dante have two very quick back to like meetings like kind of in pretty quick succession that i think we should just kind of talk about all at once um because later on kale is kind of listening to a psych profile of dante kind of trying to get the measure of him and he just kind of uh he just kind of shows up in there and he kind well, of the makes... psych profile is quite funny in so much as it talks at length about how disturbed he is and how much of a psychopath he is mm. but then does recommend he be immediately promoted isn't that how it works in America? <laughs> I was gonna I, say, actually, I think it might I was be. I going to say, yeah, like, eerily prescient. <laughs> um, but yeah, like at this point, um, uh, I quite like this stuff. Kind of when uh, Dante gives uh, Kale kind of the pitch, kind of he thinks that like the, the combination of like, his brains and her influence could be like very formidable. When she doesn't kind of go for that, he kind of starts flexing kind of hacker muscle and kind of suggests that he has kind of not necessarily dirt on her, but has access to a lot of really kind of like some kind of private stuff. 
I quite like the way that this. I quite like the way this escalates, and I think that it is Brad Dourif that is doing the lifting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not to mention the technological jargon they start throwing around is the best because it's like, at first, it's so vague. Like, how did you get this information on me? It's called hacking. And you're like, okay, well, that's as far as we're going to go with it. And then later on, I think the insurgent, uh, what would you call them? Eco-terrorists or yeah. some sort of faction. They're, they're like the Google Plectic memory drive. Like, <laughs> sure, that sounds futuristic. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that, the Google... that made Mitch laugh. Sure. Yeah. Um uh yeah, the Google Plectic memory drives is the one that I uh the one that I wrote down as well. Um but yeah, probably maybe about time we mention these guys then. Uh the <laughs> the trio of I'm I'm happy with um I'm happy with eco terrorists. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly what they assume, they seem to be. And we have three kind of main guys. We have uh, Sam Raimi, mm-hmm. um uh, and then we have Wayland, uh who is a large Scandinavian guy who mm-hmm. was in Die Hard. And we have Yutani, uh, a character uh, that's a little bit problematic. He's a little bit cultural appropriation-y. <laughs> yeah, he's very white with a half of the um, rising sun symbol on his eye. Yep. Yeah, sure. Yep. I'm jumping ahead all, all over the place that's here, fine. but when he says, um, is it all Yugen, the street oh, fighter yeah, quote? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, towards the end. Yeah. Yep. I've got to say, uh, a strong joint game from these guys <laughs> there's some stuff here that i could really have have done with in my youth um one guy seems to have what looks like various joints all coming together into one joint and then the, and then he passes along uh, a burrito sized joint yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's very, that's very large like, I, to be honest i'm amazed that these guys could perform any of what comes later <laughs> they're like okay hey guys let's prep for our invasion of this high-tech weapons manufacturer now. <laughs> now we've got to be at the top of our game <laughs> um i actually on the subject of the mapping out their plan i really like the fact that we get like a 90s vr oceans 11ing of how that's going to unfold oh i love it yep it's very uh johnny mnemonic or uh the lawnmower man yep <laughs> um the, their target here is the i believe 350 million dollars in software bonds <laughs> sure i believe it's yep. gonna is there golden goose here i think <laughs> Is that a thing? Am I am I just like financially stunted here that software bonds, it seems real enough, but it can't be real. See, like that's kind of what I thought as well, because I kind of wrote that down and primed myself to make fun of it. And I was like, I'm going to make myself sound like an absolute dick because this is going to end up being a thing. Yeah, it sounds like early Bitcoin or something. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Bitcoin works. Why not, right? Uh, yeah, maybe something like that, I think. Um, yeah, Carpenter and Ridley at this point... Um, are covertly plotting Kale's death, interrupted very abruptly oh, yeah. he, by... He suggests uh, that they create some kind of car accident to get rid of her, much like they did with Princess, Princess Diana. Diana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, v- uh, yeah, really weird, actually, now. Oh, wow, I didn't even make that connection. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... incredibly dark. She doesn't seem to have really done anything wrong that she should be dead for. <laughs> um yeah but dante storms in here he's got something to unveil he hits a button and something advances in what and we see that something is advancing on them we see it from their point of view in what i have noted down as being ms dos predator vision (laughs) sure um ms slash c drive kill enter (laughs) (laughs) um uh, yeah, he, he kind of assaults Ridley while they're waiting for whatever this is to arrive. And a chase sequence ensues here that I think is great. 
Oh, that's hilarious. And it's so chaotic, you're right. I, I think it's like a really strong sequence in the film. I think that a lot of why it works rests with the fact that um, you will like we'll come to figure out or learn what it is that's chasing him. But I think that it's cool that you don't see it for the large majority of this chase. Yeah, you kind of just see yeah you just see it chasing it from it um it chasing him from like its own perspective. I would say that some of the like dramatic momentum is broken up by the frequency with which uh, Ridley keeps comedically clattering into things. But um <laughs> but I think it's a really cool sequence. It's a really good way to introduce a like antagonist. Oh, completely. And the the sound design in it. Um, hopefully, your guys's cut had everything sound wise the same but i thought that really made it come to life because that's you could fall over so many ways of making a practical effects monster that truly can't move oh god like past walking pace sound like it's that insane that quick and that ravenous yeah yeah and i uh i had no problems up until the end i was very much on board with the, the war beast as we'll come to know it until you actually see it running and kind of lay on um and it has these very dainty footsteps <laughs> Um, which I found a little bit hard to get on board with. But everything exactly. else I, I've got no problem with. Uh, I will say, uh, doesn't care for walls or doors or anything really. This machine, single-minded in its purpose. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like his his claws, which is basically a bunch of knives in sure. the shape of a hand, it seems like it grows larger, like in a, in the elevator sequence that's coming up, and then it shrinks down to a normal animal size, like... The proportions are wildly all over the place. It's almost yeah. like it's expressionistic. It's not even realistic in any sense. <laughs> it's almost as if they're uh, changed to fit the scene. <laughs> See, um, we obviously Ridley dies here, but I don't want to let the character pass without talking about how much of a weird runner Richard Brake is. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> like um, in this film, presumably not the rest of the time, but Richard Brake runs like someone who has never seen running before, but has had it described to him. <laughs> He's like the antithesis of Tom Cruise running. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's half the thing. I mean, being on my own films, I don't have much running in it, but I've you, you try to even get a walking pace normal while someone's speaking, and it's surreal. Like on camera, it just does not look the same. So when you really book it on screen like this guy is, it just it does not read as normal, when it probably is closer to normal than most movie runs. Yeah. That's kind well, of plus they're kind of they're kind of obviously quite low down on a track shooting up at them, so the perspective makes them look a bit weird as well. Yeah, yeah, completely. It's just a strange, strange way to shoot it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So while this is going on, the eco warriors are primed to advance, but Carpenter and Kale find Ridley's body again. This looks really cool. I think. Yeah, yeah. No problem with this either. Essentially turned inside out. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's pretty awesome. And uh, Kale finds out that whatever this is has advanced from Vault 10. She knows from the previous conversation that she's had with uh, Dante that that's his doing. (laughs) You'd never be able to know by looking at him. That guy, the creepy pale rock star with the ripped jeans made that thing? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. From Little Acorns. Yeah, and uh, this theory is confirmed when she's kind of investigating later. Dante appears, um, very kind of vocally assumes responsibility for Ridley's death. Pitches them teaming up again here, yeah. and um, again she she, uh, she doesn't go for it. Not only does she um, reject this, but she also fires him. Well, he is also. I, I think it makes sense because he is also of the belief at this point that uh, Kayla is now his girlfriend, which is unsettling. So yeah, he a, does say that, doesn't he? Yeah, there's a lot about him that's that there's a lot of red flags. By the way, we forgot to mention the fact that Dante fancies himself as a bit of a joker. And uh, just before Ridley dies, there's a weird gag with a fake hand. 
and then there's a whole bunch of stuff later with like glasses with the eyes on springs and stuff yeah yeah the googly spring eyes and uh yutani pulling out a rubber chicken from his leather jacket yeah that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole film by the way when they're uh, emptying out uh, brad duriff's pockets and it goes on forever and there's all kinds of hardware in there. Like, there's about 50 guns, and there are, like, throwing stars and very large knives, and, like you said, the the, the one lone rubber chicken. <laughs> it's honestly, 12-year-old Brayden would have been like, well, shit, yeah, if I'm an adult, I'm going to carry that shit, too. Like, <laughs> <not gonna laughs> I really hope that all of the 10 minutes extra in the cut that you saw was just them taking more stuff out of his trench coat. By the way, um, I saw uh, there's a moment where you see the, the slogan for Chank Armaments, and it's hard tech for a hard world. Excellent. I like that. <laughs> That's a great minor detail to absolutely nail. Everyone arrives on time. All the protagonists that are going to carry us through the next two acts of this thing all assemble at one point here. Uh, we have Carpenter, Kale, and Dante, but also, yes, our eco-warriors, uh, Raimi, Wayland, and Yutani arrive and take everyone hostage. And the very scene that we're talking about happens here. Um, and yeah, bit of a gear shift from here on out. It's run right about this time. I mean, the scene where they're kind of going through his pockets is absolutely laughable. Again, making things a bit confusing as to whether this film's supposed to be taken seriously or it's supposed to be... Is that a comedy? Do we know? But then, uh, yeah, around about this point, Dante's been... Um, he's escorting the eco-warriors to the vault and he suggests a shortcut through another vault, Vault 10, where we know the war beast resides. Weirdly as well, massive organ music here there's like real kind of phantom of the opera style organ music and it's it's weird and, as fuck and also right before that when he's suggesting vault 10 when we know what that is but they don't there's kind of like this weird pizzicato mischievous uh strings as well there's <laughs> some really like some really weird music keys here if real life was like that how interesting would that be right like someone rings your doorbell and it's like creepy ominous music you open it up and it's Oh my god, Jehovah's Witnesses. I should have fucking known I heard him. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, Eco Warriors take his advice. Very foolish. At this point, we meet the War Beast, or to refer to it by its whole name, the Frontline Morale Destroyer. Fucking, that is an amazing, like, that's the best band name. Something tells me because you know, if this was made into a, a comic book or a graphic novel, it would be so 100% serious and believable that you'd be, you'd be all in. But because you actually see it play out, all of the ridiculousness kind of comes to a boil. And on, on screen, you're just like, oh my God, do characters talk like that? Is it this silly? But this would be one bitch in comic book. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. And it has the feel of something that's been kind of converted from a comic book or from a manga. But I don't believe that's the case at all. No, and you mentioned it was a, a co-production between the States and Japan. So, damn, I could kind of see like these two worlds being married pretty flawlessly. Like, how do you make it more japanese and more american at the same time it's super corporations with bio mechanoid kill machines and it's got everything yeah, i mean you could cast a japanese version to play yutani oh yeah that's, that yeah, would have been a, a good go. start yeah. <laughs> um uh on the subject of those guys though i like the fact that they've been talking a very big game up to this point in the but in the face of this adversity they just immediately descend into this incredibly panicked infighting yeah, like the sequence afterwards where they're all screaming at each other is um, is uh, is hilarious. Danny has the upper hand here in what I think is um, kind of relatively uncommon for people taking their workplaces hostage. He his principal demand is to be rehired. <laughs> Can we continue to refer to the death machine as the frontline morale destroyer? I think that I think that calling it war beast would be cleaner. 
Sure, okay. He activates a death machine, uh, the, the blows the vault to smithereens. Uh, we lose Wayland pretty quickly. Yep. Uh, he is gone. He Is it his hilarious dummy body that we see flying across the room? <laughs> um, they detonate an explosive here. The building is sealed. Um, Carpenter takes charge of this and um, at this point uh, gets a hold of a gun, takes everyone hostage, makes them all go down in the storage elevator and all this kind of thing. Also, um, when he said this, it made me think that it's the first time in a long time that I've heard anyone use the expression tree hugger and it really tickled me. <laughs> If this was today, they'd be like, you woke terrorist mother effers. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. By the way, Mitch, you forgot to mention that uh, it wasn't just to be rehired, but um, also part of the deal was that Kale had to fuck Dante on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which uh, defeats what he was trying to do there. And it makes him wanting to be just hired seem a little serious. You know, in retrospect, too, if I was in that scenario and he asked me to fuck him, to live, or get killed by this death machine, I think I would, I would take one for the team. I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> okay, so you, you would fuck the villain to call off the the, the weird robot. <laughs> I'm like frontline morale destroyer or suck a dick. Bring it here, <laughs> Front, frontline morale destroyer or the robot. <laughs> Pulling up the straws real quick, I'd be like, "All right, guys, let's do this." <laughs> Yeah, a moment's discomfort for a lifetime of knowing that that's why you're alive. (laughs) Great scene here. Cannot say enough good things about this. Carpenter is in control of the situation here for, I would say, all of about two minutes. Uh, They are on their way down in the service elevator. The service elevator is attacked by War Beast, and everything that happens for the next five minutes makes me incredibly happy. Yeah, I actually think this is technically a really great sequence as well, because it's shot in such tight quarters, and it feels like... It's really cramped and really, uh, like, everyone's in each other's personal space to begin with before they're, like, having to stick to the walls and avoid the giant robot that's coming up through the floor. I think it's excellent. I think it might be my favourite moment in isolation in the whole film. And a great performance by John Carpenter's character. <laughs> a great performance by War Beast. <laughs> Did fine work. Dude, it goes to show, like, clever tight shooting with uh, sound design. Holy crap, it makes it intense. I I, th- I think this is great. I mean, this 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 feels like absolute chaos. I think. Oh, it is, isn't it? It's, it's all the better for it. But uh, in amongst all the melee, uh, Utani he's impaled in the leg by one of the uh, aforementioned claws, mm-hmm. um, and then Carpenter he is uh, munched pretty thoroughly. He's absolutely savaged. Yeah, before falling out of the elevator and down the shaft on the war beast. Yeah, and which kind of turns out into a pretty emotional moment when they're kind of locking eyes before he takes a plummet yeah very cool very cool further obscuring whether we should take this seriously or not <laughs> well yeah, uh, the, yeah. Que- the question remains whether we should take it seriously or not in the moments following when uh Utani is looking for a bandage to fix his own to fix his wounded leg and then decides that the best course of action would be to rip off his own underwear from under his trousers and use it as a makeshift tourniquet to uh, stem the bleeding that is not a sanitary way to care for a wound at all. I like, I don't know if that was a stroke of genius or just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in the film. Like, I mean, it's, oh, okay, like, it's okay for it to be both. <laughs> <laughs> like in reality, imagine a guy doing that and you're just like, these gross, streaky, tidy whities I'm like, sorry, bro, you're going to fucking die because I'm not touching that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean... I'm, 
there's a fair chance if it was me uh, and that was the, the the course of action I had chosen, I would be wrapping soiled pants around my leg because uh, what they've endured to this point before, even before it gets truly crazy, is pretty terrifying. Yep, agreed. <laughs> They make it to the top floor at this point, which is where all the confidential stuff is kept. Uh, stuff that has that Kale doesn't even know about. Um, incredible revelation here, if I am interpreting this correctly, which is that uh, Chank are repurposing war veterans as cryogenically frozen and technologically enhanced super soldiers? Question mark? Correct. Yes. Dante reappears here as well, communicating via a screen. <laughs> he always knows just where to be. Yeah, I kind of felt, I kind of, I kind of felt like I had just started missing him when he reappears here. I think I'm getting... Uh... A little glimpse of of where our two cuts differentiate because there's a whole minute and a half of them dicking around in this stuff and now dante pops up i had to scrub through it there's a couple times when it's just like ah, two minutes here a minute and a half here a little bit more mood setting i think okay okay right. maybe 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 some kind of tone balancing going on there mm-hmm. uh-huh. well we learn here that uh, uh, the reason that he's able to find them is that kale has a tracker in her arm kind of reminiscent of i guess uh, hicks giving ripley a tracker in aliens um but uh, the decision is made to cut that out of her arm and yutani hands over a knife in a way that is baffling yeah it's a pretty incredible showboating um but yeah we find out here that war beast feeds on fear not unsure of the algorithm or the programming involved i'm unsure of a lot of the programming and the algorithm involved because um are you suggesting that the science doesn't track all the way well it's more a question of why, because some, sometimes when you see war, uh, war Mich- what's his name, War Beast's war beast. uh, like heads up display, like his visual interface, if you like, it's got like energy hearts from a video game, <laughs> and like a battery, like a, it kind of tells you when its battery's running out. It's very weird, like very weird. It's, it looks like the 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 interface of kind of looking through our old VCR camera. I would have liked to see if they threw a nose on that thing. You know, like right now is a standard. <laughs> It's a pair of teeth that kind of vaguely resembles uh, an alien xenomorph. Yep. It doesn't really have eyes, but what if you just put this massive schnoz on there and then that sets us up, oh, you could smell our pheromones. <laughs> <laughs> let's, discuss the kind of, let's discuss the kind of nose then that you're looking to see here. Are you talking about something like um, Groucho glasses and nose combination? I'm thinking a little something like a truffle pig. <laughs> A truffle pig. <laughs> right, okay. I was also thinking clown nose. <laughs> it's, got, it's got a wiggle kind of like an animal's nose, like a cat's nose, like, you know. <laughs> Mitch, do you have a, a, a preferred nose? Perhaps a long one like the child catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Now, now we've talked about animal noses, I just think that whiskers would be nice, just for decorative purposes. <laughs> just to make them look even sillier. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Right, excellent. Um, however, yeah. Um, speaking of uh, speaking of things that are exceptionally silly, I had a feeling that we were about to shift gears here, and I was correct. I think that one of the biggest decisions happens here in terms of like how this shifts tonally. Um, <laughs> when, this is where it becomes a manga. Uh, when Raimi suits up in the hard man kind of outfit that they find, and they download the hard man killer interface and some very specific killing instructions directly into his brain everything that happens with Raimi from here on out is flat out insane it's like the scene in austin powers right when he, he comes out of the cryogenic stasis and starts screaming i can't control the volume of my voice because <laughs> yeah, right. pretty much uh, right up until the end from this point uh Raimi screams everything at the top of his lungs the suit kind of makes him look like a transformer but a transformer that turns into a couch <laughs> 
And I find it funny. It's like, it's a good thing this guy's screaming and doesn't excrete more pheromones because if that death machine was tracking me by sound, they'd all be dead right now. Yeah, well, 100%. But then later on, there's a moment where he screams at the top of his lungs, be quiet, and then, <laughs> like, right away, he, like, the death machine comes right through the wall right next to him. <laughs> I remember thinking this as well at one point when he was like uh, kind of storming around everywhere screaming and I was like god you don't need a fucking tracking device in your wrist to get like, to find this guy no 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 no. I love the sun tanning goggles that the suit has it's like <laughs> if UV radiation is emitted from the war beast I will be protected right? <laughs> I think it's fair to say and I, I don't know if, if you'll agree with me here gentlemen but I, I think he looks fucking preposterous it's a yarmulke, man. I can't get over that. The little the little hairpiece on the very back of his suit. It's a choice. It's a choice. Yeah, there's a Jason X-ish uh, kind of amateur, this is what kind of sci-fi should be feeling to it. It also feels like the, the UK sci-fi comedy show Red Dwarf. Okay, I don't think I'm familiar with that. Ah. It's very, it's very silly and it's very cheap and it has the same kind of aesthetic to it. It's, it's worth a cursory YouTube of that when we're done. <laughs> Does it have an industrial leaf blower as a right arm? Oh, almost certainly, almost <laughs> certainly, and uh, yeah, that that to me is just a very transparently a large piece of cardboard molded to fit his arm. <laughs> it's funny enough because like at first I rejected it, but near the end when he throws it aside and his normal arms there, it just feels so wholly inadequate. It's like he castrated himself in a weird mechanic way. Well, that large thing he has on his arm only seems to contain one incredibly large homing missile, which causes mass massive devastation very soon but really seems to have no impact whatsoever on the war beast because it's completely unaffected it seems to be operate more effectively after it. it's uh, extremely lethal yeah and i noticed there was a, a very huge lack of uh, pneumatic presses to kill this machine and so <laughs> terminator logic i don't know how you're supposed to stop this thing yeah yeah <laughs> well like, the, the kind of plan seems to be just keep throwing bombs at it their plan b is to try plan a over and over again until it works um <laughs> i don't want to like like, I don't want to fly right into the kind of um, final standoff kind of thing that we have upcoming pretty soon uh, between our survivors and uh, Warbeast without talking about something really quickly. Dante comes back at this point and um, he and Kale have this kind of very intense conversation about the death of a child. Can I get just a kind of just a recentering on exactly what they're talking about there? Yeah, that was something I had to rewatch because I, I knew they were trying to work something in from the beginning, the child murder stuff, and it's an incredibly heavy piece of exposition and backstory to throw into it, especially this far in to how campy it really is. Yeah, it's again, it's that weird tonal thing. Like, you can have moments of rape, you can have moments of infanticide. I mean, the way I read it was that she, I don't know, did she put her kid in a washing machine? Hmm. I mean, like, what, what, like, genuinely, I was, I, I was aware that a child had died and it was presumably her child, but the actual mechanics of it were kind of beyond my comprehension because we, we, we didn't have time to rewatch the sequence. Um, but I was gonna because, yeah, I, I couldn't piece together exactly what it was. But she said something about the uh, the machine ripped the child's arm off, and the image was kind of turning. And I, I don't know, I don't know why I, th- I thought it was a washing machine. I was trying to think what, because uh, it, it felt to me very much like it was a domestic story. And I was just like, uh, <laughs> what else could it have been? Yeah, it looked like some sort of uh, industrial furnace of body parts and stuff. So well, there was a, a lot of dead babies at the start, actually, that we forgot to touch on. Like a, a lot of burnt babies. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was pretty unsettling given i've just had one uh yeah off the back of this um, um a struggle ensues there's um there's a good kind of squirmy body horror moment here when uh kale and dante are fighting and she kind of stabs his hand into the shelf 
Yeah, well, this is off the back of the rape. The yeah, attempted oh, the attempted rape. rape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I really love the the hand knife gag. I think it's probably the best gore effect in the film. Yeah, yeah. And in what world can he not just grab that thing and pull it straight up? But yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's an it's an insane response. <laughs> I, I kind of wonder, like, if, it, if the blade was the other way and he had to push his hand forward, would he go right to the elbow and just pull his hand away or what? <laughs> just, just right up and out of the shoulder. <laughs> the only way out of this is through it. <laughs> like running your hand through a table saw. It's like, oh. After a brief hiatus, Warbeast returns. <laughs> Don't know where he'd been. Yeah, he was. Um, it's, it's here where he fires off a homing missile, isn't it? And it's amazing because it's shot from the perspective of the homing missile. Yes. Brilliant. But the, the devastation it causes is, is staggering, but no one's harmed. Uh, War Machine isn't harmed. I keep calling him War Machine. Um, War Beast. Stuck in the, M- the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, but yeah, it's, it's at this point that we start to see the War Beast running. And really all the good work that's been done to this point with the War Beast is kind of undone by how silly he looks. At this point, I can't take it seriously at all. As this is kind of like, uh, as this is kind of heartland to a conclusion, I think that it becomes really, it really strange kind of how some of it is so, so incredibly straight faced. And it's obvious when those parts are kind of like played that way. And it is so obvious when parts are played for laughs as well. But then also there are these kind of these parts that occupy somewhere in between. Like when uh, Yutani riddles um, Warbeast with bullets for what feels like a really long time. And it's like kind of a hero moment. And then he immediately turns around, bangs his head on the door frame, collapses and gets sliced into bits. <laughs> yeah, it's not even played for laughs because it's like the slow motion shot and... I think they probably thought, oh, yeah, it's going to be epic. He falls, and we have the William Defoe platoon moment when he puts his <laughs> arms out. Yeah, Mitch, <laughs> Mitch made me rewind yeah. this moment because uh, he had obviously was taking a note or something. He glanced down, and uh, I guess it does look like he's being shot or something because he does this real slow fall onto his back. I think I see a YouTube edit of some of this coverage on the film, and they added uh, the sound effects of Street Fighter to it. <laughs> and when they... And it's like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> it's so- <laughs> well, that, it's funny you say Street Fighter because this is the Shoryuken moment. Yeah. Uh, it, it feels weird, but it also doesn't sit right from a, should have been a Japanese actor's perspective. A contemporary game with such a memorable line like that, I feel like even then they should have known that if there isn't a legal issue at stake, a cultural one at the very least i can't see how anyone thought that was a good idea no it's a it's a it's an absolutely baffling choice speaking of baffling choices during what i think is what well, i think that the kind of like the final battle here feels really really long <laughs> um but in the middle of it uh my favorite character arrives who is uh the overacting policeman who's in the film for about 90 seconds <laughs> I fucking love this guy. Uh, he's around, kind of overacts, kind of shouts for long enough, and is eventually um, uh, crushed uh, by, by kind of like a falling war beast. Utters the line, "Holy donuts!" Yeah, yeah, which is interesting because police eat donuts and they've got holes. Ah. Oh, there you go. But he's gone as soon as he arrives, and actually, I think it's a shame because uh, what he brought was invaluable. You just know that was probably somebody's brother or cousin, and, you know, that was part of the deal. We'll give you guys $20 million to make this, but he has to be in the film and say holy donuts before he dies. Yeah. <laughs> of the list of possible explanations for why any of that have happened, I would say that nepotism ranks quite high. <laughs> also, around about this point, I started to think that this was kind of going on a little bit, and then I was struck by the fact that there was yet a longer cut presumably the one that you you yourself watched, Braden, but this uh, I, I was starting to struggle a little bit here. 
I got to give a shout out though. I'm watching some of these. Uh, I'm playing back a couple more of the bigger set pieces, like the fall in the elevator. And man, the sets look fantastic. They actually look like they're ripped straight from Alien too. I think, and I absolutely think that's intentional. Oh, completely. Yeah. She even down to her wardrobe choices. I, it, that, it is. That's what I was just about to say. She's kind of dressed like Ripley. I think that. I think that becomes more noticeable as she gets more harassed as it goes on. What, when she gets more dirty, and more, sweaty, yeah, 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 I think that, like, I think that 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 becomes more noticeable. At this point, honestly, like Warbeast, I was, I've written down Warbeast knocks out Remy. It's with an explosion. He doesn't, doesn't just punch him in the head or something. Takes uh, Kale to see Danny. At this point, I can't believe this kind of end part is still going. <laughs> Because, yeah, like at that point, I thought it was starting to like kind of like really drag its heels. But basically, they have one last kind of exchange, really just for long enough uh, for Raimi to recover, like kind of regain consciousness, come back and deal kind of a death blow. Not a death blow, but um, save the day. Sure, yeah. Yeah, there's a moment that I love when a bomb is thrown and it's caught by the war beast and he looks at it and you see from his kind of heads up display just all these question marks of curiosity floating around the bomb. I thought it was quite sweet. At this point, I mean, we're, we're pretty much there. Yeah, absolutely. They seal him, uh, Dante, into Vault 10, uh, along with Warbeast, who I must say I was very pleased survived this whole thing, despite being kind of the de facto villain of the piece, or or one of them. So I believe then that the the Warbeast destroyed, like, kills Dante then? Yeah, in my cut, it's like a really quick kind of moment. Does it play out any longer for you guys? It's, 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 um, the ending is, like, considering how bombastic everything in the last 20, 25 minutes before that has been the actual end moment of it is thrown off in a very casual way yeah yeah massively like they're just kind of the the door to vault 10 just closes with the the war beast and dante inside and and yeah and that's the final shot like the i think that like the closed vault 10 is the final shot of it and we just cut the credits is that what you have yeah with a quick flash of the teeth of uh, the war beast going off it almost feels like if this was shot straight through from beginning to end that they would realize okay there's some ridiculous shit that comes before this part of the movie for a good hour maybe we should pay it off with an over-the-top kill scene on brad dora it's done in a creative way it's just very reserved and up until this point i don't think the film's being reserved at any moment <laughs> yeah I, I i i completely agree i think it's an interesting choice i was really surprised by it but i think that uh yeah i think, I think it kind of jars i think that the catharsis that you want here and in the film that they made yeah. The, the ending that you want is the one that you described. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And with that, we're done on this one. Andy. Yes, Mitch. First watch. First watch, yeah. A rare first watch for me. Impressions. Um, do you know what? I actually had a really good time with this film. Um, I'm actually really glad I've seen it. It does kind of lose its way a little bit towards the end. and it. I know there's a 90-minute cut out there, and I would be quite keen to see that because I feel like it might have done with a little bit of trimming, certainly from the version that we watched. And uh, I'm almost certain that the 90-minute cut is probably incredibly enjoyable. Not to say that this that the longer cut isn't incredibly enjoyable, but it just it feels to have a fair amount and it's pretty extraneous in it. Um, from a creative kind of standpoint, I don't see really much wrong with this film. For the most part, the practical robot looks a bit silly, but I'm pretty much all for it. <laughs> I don't really know how else they could have made it look any more menacing than just a giant set of teeth and knife hands which is essentially what the whole creature is yeah i had a good time with it i i laughed when i think i was supposed to Mm -hmm. and yeah (laughs) it was that i laughed a lot actually when i wasn't meant to but yeah i had a good time with it and i would absolutely watch it again and i'd quite like to seek out the different versions to see what's different and how things are changed 
Um, yeah, I mean, I I had a really good time with this as well. I mean, um, I would agree. I think I I think that the cut that we watched, I think even the the shorter one that we watched, I think I think it feels a little bit bloated too, but not in a way that ever like sinks the ship. I think that um, this is it's like it's it's fun. The momentum doesn't break to a distracting degree yeah. at any point. I don't think I I I had a lot of fun with this. I thought I thought it was it's a really good selection. Like we've done previous episodes on the show. Of things like the Lawnmower Man and Johnny Mnemonic and things like that. I guess even things like Deep Rising. Yeah, and I think that and I think that you can kind of file it, can kind of file it along with those. Like I see it entering the rotation of kind of like a Friday night beers in a film thing for me. Oh yeah. I gotta say, right off the bat, of all the people that impressed, it impressed the the producer that would go on to give Stephen Norrington the job to direct Blade, which in my opinion is a really fucking awesome film. Yeah, absolutely. Blade. I think Blade still holds up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Blade's excellent. Yeah, and then off the back of that as well, he did, for better or worse, he did The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which, while not the greatest film, still a pretty big film to go on to. Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing that you kind of, um, looking at that, this could have been one of those films that hits the bargain bin and then stays there forever to be forgotten, which in many ways it has. Yeah. But, wow. Like, going from that to Blade is a pretty huge jump. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, pretty interesting. Definitely. Uh, Braden, before we finish up, I think it would be only prudent to take a little bit of time to talk about true fiction. Yeah, of course. Of course. Would you like me to give a 30-second pitch? Um, <laughs> you can you can give us a longer than a 30-second pitch if you prefer. Yeah, you can talk about it at length. Yeah, I mean, i, I got to say, I'm, I haven't seen this one yet, but I think that it sounds uh, really interesting. So, yeah, um, you yeah, want to tell us a little bit about it? Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in a nutshell, it's uh, much like any other good movies, especially this one. Um, things that inspired it were like uh, Misery, Hard Candy. Sure. It's basically a two-hander between a, a man and a woman, a young woman. Right. And she goes to help an author write his book in an isolated cabin. And the rules are you're going to participate in a psychological game to push you to your limits and inspire my next novel. And, of course, the lines of reality get blurred. She's not sure if this guy is who he says he is. Or if what he's doing is even for a book at all. Right. So, yeah, it's a, it's a thriller, it's a horror, largely two people in a cabin, but as far as one can take it under that premise. Were you over for, were you over for Fright Fest, Braden? Yeah, yeah, we, we were there in late August. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we were in the London one, not the Glasgow one, yeah. Had you been before? No, it was my first time, and my first time in England, and oh, wow. overseas. Yeah, oh. we went to Brazil with it, which was the very first screening, but London was my first taste of Europe and first film to travel abroad, so it was amazing. It was better than I was anticipating, and I already had a very high expectations for it, so it was awesome. Oh, amazing. Yeah, amazing. great, great. And um, do we know anything about release or anything like for that uh, like that for it yet? Yeah, we've just signed with the distributors, so once, that, uh, once that's all public knowledge, um, we're hoping to get it out the first quarter of 2020. So that'll oh, be VOD. Yeah, yeah, VOD. And I think it'll have a limited theatrical run in the States. So should be out pretty soon. Very That's cool. cool. Yeah, cool. excellent. Cool. And uh, Brendan, people want to keep up with you uh, on social media. Where can they get you? Uh, they can find me on Instagram. I think it's Braden.Croft6 or some crap. I just started <laughs> it. It's the most pathetic like, Instagram ever. I, I only had it for a couple months now, and it's like... <laughs> 80 followers and i'm like an old man on that shit i'll try to post more but people could certainly reach out to me on there and uh i also do like a very a very young i think we're about two months old podcast on youtube called any bloody thing with a fellow filmmaker and special effects guru um from canada travis shuchuk so cool what's 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 the idea with uh what's the idea with that uh with the podcast it's not 
too unlike what you guys are doing. We don't um, break down films at all, but it's more whatever topics are out there for the genre world and filmmaking. We're still trying to find uh, our core audience anyway, but it's a lot of a lot of two guys that make movies talking about movies. Cool. Good stuff. Which couldn't be more generic. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to establish a cult of personality here, so yeah, no, exactly. It, exactly. It's a lot of fun. You yeah, guys just talk. That's what we're all trying to do. That's what we're all trying to. Braden, thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Yeah, man, thank you. And like I said, thank you for bringing Death Machine to my uh, orbit. Really, it's um, it's a weird film, and it's definitely one I'll visit again, and it's one that I'll tell people to watch. So thank you, I appreciate this. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, thank you guys for bringing me on. It was uh, it's always a pleasure to meet new people, talk about the stuff we love, and again, share movies like death machine that even i forgot for the longest time <laughs> <laughs> yeah i gotta say of the you know you can only see a certain amount of films at fright fest yeah sure yeah. and uh for various reasons i saw less this year than i would have liked i um, re- yeah. um <laughs> amongst other things yeah but like, i am uh, uh i'm sorry that i missed your fiction yeah yeah because uh, i think it does sound really interesting um and hopefully we'll be seeing a little bit more of that in 2020 then. yeah yeah i'd quite like to see it that sounds it sounds pretty interesting yeah it sounds like my kind of thing certainly yeah. you know how i feel about um yeah, you love uh, a chamber piece i really do don't yeah, i yeah, yeah. You fucking do. big thank you to Braden croft writer and director of yeah. true fiction joining us to talk Death Machine. Death Machine. I, absolute curiosity of a film. Wow, bonkers. Yeah, yeah, such a find. Um, I also think something that if they are of a mind to seek it out, a lot of our listeners will really like. Yeah, I think honestly, think people will really respond to it, and I'm surprised that more people haven't seen it, and it isn't held up as more of a cult classic. Yeah, uh huh. I'm I'm quite surprised by that too. I must say. Um, but yeah, hopefully. <laughs> This is where this is where the tide starts turning. This friend. is it. This is it. This is it. This is the weather change. Yeah. <laughs> but all eyes to the future. We're never gone for long. We will be back on Monday with Minisode seventy four. You bet we will. Doing all of our usual, all the usual <laughs> pish. We will be uh, talking about what we've been watching. You've been watching loads this week. Yeah, I've been busy. Well, I've got nothing but time and babies on my hands. So uh... it's true. So you're just chilling out with the baby, yeah, changing the baby, burping the baby, stuff. watching some films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been. Uh, I accidentally wiped shit in my face the other day. That was uh okay yeah so so there was that Did- uh, but in between wiping shit in my face uh, i have actually watched loads of stuff that i've kind of missed or i've kind of i had started and hadn't finished and stuff okay. like that so yeah there's I've, I've done loads of stuff i'm not going to talk about it all in the minisode because it'll be fucking it'll be huge stockpile it yeah so about it for later weeks uh no one has to know yeah. <laughs> um, uh, i have seen nothing this week um apart from one rewatch i want to talk about but i based on current projections i will get to the weekend and i've seen a bit more cool as long as one of them is a shortwaves 100 film yeah. then you will be fine that ever diminishing list uh we'll be talking about that on monday we will of course also be taking a look at your feedback and playing another round of mitch's pitches the pitch game is once again already strong oh really yes oh, I'm very um, excited. yeah um if you want to get in touch about that or about anything else, you can do in loads of different ways. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC and email Longer Considerations, uh, Musical Interludes, Mitch's Pitches Suggestions, which we've had loads of lately, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Pretty much anything else. Whatever's on your mind. Scenes at gmail.com. Yep, and you can also pop on and have a look at our website, strongviolentpod.com, where you will find a non-exhaustive list of podcast providers. Mm-hmm. Have a wee look. Maybe at the moment you're listening to Spotify and wondering why sometimes they take a bit longer to update. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're thinking the same thing. 
about Stitcher. There might be something that suits you better, or something that's a bit more reliable. That's the place to look because they're all they're all there. We like Podbean personally. We do like Podbean because they're our home, our hosts, and they're very nice people. They are very nice people. Uh, you can also find a link to our T Public page. New designs coming this week, and you can find all the information regarding our upcoming live show at Celluloid Screams. Mm-hmm. And indeed, any future live shows as and when they arise. Yes. Yes. Meantime, we're back Monday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.